everyone. Hope you're all doing well today, this Sunday evening, Sunday afternoon. Hope you had a good Sunday afternoon. Give everyone just a few moments here to see the video. Hopefully, hopefully jump on, join our study this evening. If you're jumping on or just now seeing this, if you would go ahead, make sure you get your Bible with you. We will be using that as always. Make sure you get a Bible to read along with us, study along with us, and uh, encourage you to have an actual physical Bible. Um, it's, it's always good to have the, the Bible on your phone, of course. That's, that's a good resource to have, but it's also nice to kind of disconnect from everything and have that physical Bible sitting there that you can connect to and look at as well. Um, if you want to go ahead, if you're just tuning in and have that Bible close, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, <clears throat> starting in verse 25. Acts 16 verse 25 is where we will be tonight. I'm glad that you're joining us for our Sunday evening Bible study. Uh, Brother Jim, of course, preached for us this morning, and as, as was said, we're extremely thankful that he is recovering, that he is doing well. Uh, but, of course, he's wanting to take it easy, not wanting to overdo it. Um, so we decided it would probably be best if he uh, didn't do the, the service tonight. And I would step in and, and do it this evening. Uh, he's doing good, uh, just, just still wanting to take it easy as he recovers from home. So saying that, uh, continue to be in prayer for them, for his family, as well as they are, uh, as they are recovering. Uh, something that uh, is going on right now that we wanted to kind of make everyone aware of, um, our church is actually continuing ministry during all of this. Of course, this is uh, unprecedented times. There's, there's been a lot of things shaken up, a lot of things uh, changed, but our church um, and, and several people uh, with our church have volunteered to provide meals to people in the community, people who have needs, uh, people who are not uh, going to be able to go out and get themselves food, the more vulnerable in our communities. Uh, so we want to extend a thank you to those families, those individuals who have been supporting that, who have been there serving and getting the food ready to do that. They've been doing that now for about a week, two weeks, um, and it is definitely appreciated by those in the community. And, of course, it's just something that is, is a little bit different. Uh, we're trying to minister, of course, the best way that we can, maintaining the regulations that um, we're trying to maintain, but also still realizing, hey, we're still to be a part of the community and serve those around us. So, again, thank you to those who are serving in that way, uh, who are being a part of that. We're thankful for your service, uh, not just to Southside, but also to Jesus as you're serving those who are vulnerable in our community. Um, so, again, um, saying that, thank you, and also uh, for those of you who are just now jumping on, go ahead and grab your Bibles, and you can turn to the book of Acts, chapter 16, as we continue our study through the book of Acts this evening. Acts, chapter 16, verse 25. <clears throat> and as you're turning there, I would like to open us up with a word of prayer as we get started this evening. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today, God. We thank you for this opportunity, God, that we can continue studying your word together, uh, preaching your word openly. Father, just pray that you would bless us during this time. And God, we pray that what we see out of your word, God, we would be faithful to it, apply it to our lives. God, to, to trust it as your word, your, your revelation to your children. God, showing us what you want us to see tonight. Father, just pray that as we go about our days, 
uh, and starting this week, tomorrow, God, whether it be to a job or, or wherever it may be, whatever we're doing with family, if we're just quarantined at home, whatever it may be, God, that we would be glorifying to you and honoring to you, Father, um, trusting you no matter what comes, no matter the circumstances. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word being reliable and trustworthy. God, not because it's something that I'm talking about or something that Brother Jim was talking about this morning, but God, because it is your word. It is from you that has been given to us. Father, we thank you for that. We thank you again for the opportunity to study it. Father, just pray that you'd bless us this evening. Lord, we love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Acts chapter 16. I'm going to do something on my phone real quick. There we go. Acts chapter 16. Uh, a couple weeks ago, um, I was sharing with you guys on a Sunday evening, and we picked up out of Acts chapter 16. Now, if you joined us then, you may remember why we, we jumped into Acts chapter 16. Uh, but if not, I'll go ahead and tell you. Uh, our youth had been studying the book of Acts. We had been going through the book, book of Acts verse by verse, talking about the things that we see in the book of Acts. And so two weeks ago, we just started right where we had left off uh, on Sunday mornings, and we are just picking up there tonight as well and continuing through the book of, of Acts. Of course, the book of Acts, most of us know, if not all of us know, it was written by Luke. Uh, Luke, this historian, uh, we see that he uh, interviewed eyewitnesses to get the account and read it, wrote it down. But also we see, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, in the previous one or two chapters that we had been studying and looking at, we see that Luke now is actually a part of what's happening. Uh, not only did he interview eyewitnesses, people who were a part of what was unfolding in the early church, but he also experienced some of the events that unfolded. Uh, so as we're studying and what we're looking at, keep in mind that Luke, who wrote all these things down, is very near and close to what is happening. Uh, remember a couple weeks ago, just to kind of bring in some context and some review, we're right in Acts chapter 16, where Paul and Silas and those who are with Paul and Silas are right in the middle of Paul's second missionary journey. He's, he's going all over the place sharing the gospel. Uh, we see in the previous couple chapters uh, that some things had happened that prevented them from going to other regions. And so now they're in the, the, the region of Philippi, Macedonia, and they're in this town called Philippi. Paul and Silas, from what we looked at and talked about a couple weeks ago, Paul and Silas had been in prison for their work in Philippi, specifically for what Paul did towards a girl who was owned, who was demon-possessed. He cast out the demon, and when her owner, seeing that their, their chance for material gain had been ripped from them, uh, they dragged Paul and Silas into the marketplace, they dragged them before the magistrates, and they accuse them, and we see the entire crowd in the marketplace turning on Paul and Silas. Uh, we see that they were beaten with rods, which does not sound fun at all. It does not sound like something anyone would want, would want to be a part of. And then we see that they're thrown into the deepest part of the prison. Actually, the magistrates tell the jailer, hey, take these two guys and throw them into the deepest part of the prison, the, the place that is furthest from the outside world, uh, which tells us a couple things. Uh, number one, it tells us that they did not want Paul and Silas to get out. They wanted them to be tucked away as deep as possible. But also it tells us the situation, the circumstances that Paul and Silas were in. As you can imagine, these ancient prisons would not have been very fun to be in and to be a part of. And I'm sure as you got deeper into these prisons, it only got worse. So for us to picture Paul and Silas there in this deepest part of this prison, uh, chained to the floor and possibly to each other, if we picture something like a dark 
dusky dungeon, then we're probably not too far off the mark. It would not have been a pleasant experience at all. So, so again, remember, they have been beaten, and now they've been thrown into this deepest part of the prison, and they are separated from the outside world as far away as they could, could be in this situation. And we've seen in verse 25, if you look there, verse 25 of Acts chapter 16, we see what their response is. Uh, before we talked about that a couple weeks ago, remember, we asked a question. What would your response be experiencing something like this, experiencing this kind of persecution and difficulty in your life? Well, we hopefully you asked yourself that question and tried to answer that question somewhat, but we see the response of Paul and Silas in verse 25, if you look there with me. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. What was their response? It was prayer and worship. It was singing hymns. I want you to notice the time of day that this took place. It happened at midnight. There, there is no light at this point. They are completely separated from, from everyone. If there was ever a moment that they were going to be discouraged, if there was ever a moment that they were going to respond in anger, it would have been now because no one would have been able to see that kind of response. But that is not the response that they have. They respond in prayer, praise, and worship to their God. And it actually turns into an opportunity of sharing the gospel with the prisoners that are there listening to them. Their response shines as an example to us. It shines as an example to us about how we ought to respond even in the midst of difficult circumstances. So how do we respond in times of difficulty or pressure? Ask yourself that question even now. How have you responded in times of difficulty and pressure? I look at my own life and there are times that I have not responded the way that we see Paul and Silas responding with here. Uh, the, the truth is though that when this pressure of difficult circumstances comes into our lives, it puts this pressure on us, puts us in this vice grip, and it really shows us the true nature of who we are and what we run to in difficult times. It's been said that adversity introduces a man to himself. If you really want to see who you are and what you run to, look at how you respond to difficult circumstances in your life. Do we respond with praise and worship, or do we respond in other ways? Jesus speaks about this to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. He tells them, firstly, he calls them a brood of vipers, uh, but he tells them at the end of this verse that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Who we truly are is revealed, especially in difficult times and times of adversity. And so tonight, as we keep that in mind, the things that we had studied and looked at a couple weeks ago, we're going to look at an opportunity that comes from their response of worship. Paul and Silas, because of their response of worship, we see an opportunity that arises. So moving forward, picking up there in verse 26, we're going to continue looking at the events that unfold and talk about and see an earthquake that takes place. Verse 26, if you'll look there with me. It says, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Directly after the recorded response of worship, there's a great earthquake. An earthquake that shakes the foundations of the prison, that opens the cell doors, that, that unfastens the bonds that are on the prisoners' hands and feet. 
not just Paul and Silas. We see it's all the prisoners, all the jail cells are opened up and prisoners set free. Now, there are some who might look at this earthquake and say, oh, it was just a natural, natural occurrence. It was just this coincidence that happened at the best possible time. Well, even though Luke does not directly say, when we study what happens, the, the consequences of this earthquake and see how specific it is, it's really difficult for me to believe that it was just some coincidence. And we see that this was focused on this prison. We see that through the earthquake, the doors opened up, the bonds fell off the prisoners. Even though Luke does not directly say the miraculous timing and miraculous freedom given to all from this earthquake should bring us to this understanding that everything that happened through this earthquake was the providential act of a sovereign God. God miraculously worked and sent this earthquake to set Paul and Silas and even the rest of the prisoners free in a miraculous, incredible way. It was God working and moving in this situation. So they are set free in verse 26. And then verse 27, we're reminded of someone who's there in the midst with the prisoners and with Paul. And that is the jailer. Remember the jailer? The jailer was told by the magistrates, hey, take Paul and Silas and tuck them away as far back as you can. Now we're going to look and see the response of the jailer after the jail cells are opened up. Look there in verse 27 with me. It says, when the jailer woke, so he was asleep, and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. So the jailer came to the conclusion, he, he woke up with the earthquake happening, or after it had happened, he woke up, and he came to the conclusion that the prisoners must have escaped. Not that big of a leap, really. I mean, he looked up, the doors were opened, he didn't see what was going on, it was dark, and so he jumps to this conclusion that, well, all the prisoners must have escaped, which is not that far-fetched of a conclusion to jump to, especially as a jailer, knowing the prisoners are wanting their freedom. And we see that because of this conclusion, what he is about to do to his own life. Because of that conclusion, the jail jailer draws his sword and is about to attempt suicide. Now that may seem extremely drastic to us, and it is extremely drastic to us. So why would the jailer, because of this, this conclusion, jump to doing something so harmful and damaging to himself? Well, couple things I want to remind you of. Firstly, understand and remember that Philippi is this Roman city, this Roman colony. They're very prideful of the Roman citizenship, and so they understand that they have Roman rule and custom to follow. And because of that, we know that a guard, or in this case a jailer, who fell down on the job, who doesn't do his responsibilities the way that he ought to, we know that he would, he would be punished almost immediately. It always resulted in some immediate punishment because of him falling down on his responsibilities. We see a similar situation in Acts chapter 12 with Peter. Now, Peter was thrown into prison by Herod, and we know that Peter, he's set free from prison, but in, in kind of a more subtle, quiet way. The scripture tells us an angel of the Lord goes in, uh, it, it wake, he wakes Peter up, Peter goes, follows, falls out. The very next morning, those who were around Peter, they remained asleep. They had no idea what had happened. They woke up, they seen Peter was gone, we see chaos ensue from that point. What was Herod's response, or what was his punishment towards those jailers, those guards? Well, it was their execution. And that leads us to one or two things that would have very likely, could have very likely happened to this Philippian jailer. The, the lighter side of it 
would him potentially be serving the same sentence as those who were under his charge. Uh, so if someone that he was watching had some kind of a time sentence on his life, well, they could have very easily just said, well, because you fell down on the job, because you didn't do it as you ought to do it, you're going to serve the same punishment. You're going to take his place and substitute his place. And secondly, the worst side of it would have been his execution. And, and so understanding the law, understanding the Roman customs, and him thinking that somehow these, these prisoners had escaped, well, he decides, I'm just going to kill myself. And instead of going through the shame of exposing how he had fallen down on the job, he just jumps to that drastic measure. But then we see something happening. He doesn't get to that point, thankfully. We see in verse 28 through 30 the aftermath of this quake in the lives of Paul, Silas, and also this jailer. Look there in verse 28 with me. So the jailer thinks the prisoners have escaped. All hope is lost. But then verse 28 says, But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Verse 29, And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. When we look at verse 29, we see that somehow Paul knew what this man was about to do. Uh, maybe he, was, he, he said something that, that brought Paul to that conclusion. Maybe Paul supernaturally thought something was going to happen. Regardless, we see Paul calling out and saying, hey, don't do anything. We're all still here. Even though this jail was just split wide open, even though everyone is free, we are all still here. Now, that may seem strange to us when we look into this occurrence, look into this happening. It, it may not be that surprising to us that Paul and Silas were still there. But the rest of the prisoners... Why did they not immediately leave? Well, the scripture doesn't directly say, but a couple possibilities that we can look at and, and, and maybe conclude. Firstly, maybe these things just happened so quickly they hadn't had a chance to leave. Uh, maybe from reading the scriptures and seeing what had happened, it, it, it happened in such rapid fire succession that hey, they were just all still in shock and just had not made an escape. Or maybe, possibly, they understood what they had just witnessed. They understood in hearing Paul and Silas worshiping and praying and praising their God, that their God, the true God, had showed up and was working in a miraculous way right before their eyes. And maybe in thinking that, it stopped them in their tracks. Regardless of why they remained, they had not moved from their cells. And thankfully, it resulted in this jailer surviving and moving forward and going to Paul and Silas, look there in verse 29. Read it again. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. The jailer rushed in, fearful, and fell down in front of two of his very own prisoners. Now I want you to see the irony in this. That this jailer, just a few moments ago, had complete charge over these prisoners. He was the authority. He had the authority. And now we see him falling down in fear, trembling before Paul and Silas. Why? Because he had just experienced a mighty working of God right before his eyes. And, and some even think that this jailer could have been a part of Paul and Silas's punishment, their beating. So, so to think about the, the way this all has unfolded, this jailer potentially beating Paul and Silas a few hours before, are now there right before them, fearful because of what he had just witnessed and what he had just experienced. When we look there in verse 30 and see the very first thing that he asks 
and says to Paul and Silas. Verse 30, if you'll look there with me. It says, then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's a question that as you study the book of Acts, you see it echoed throughout the book of Acts. You see individuals, when the gospel is presented to them, they ask the same questions oftentimes. How am I able to be saved? We see it asked in Acts chapter 2. Peter, once the Holy Spirit falls on the early church, they go out and they share the gospel the day of Pentecost. And Peter shares the gospel. He preaches to the masses. And at the end, their response is very similar to what we see in this Philippian jailer. Scripture tells us in Acts 2 that they are cut to the heart and they ask Peter, what must we do to be saved? This Philippian jailer was experiencing the same thing that the crowds experienced in Acts chapter 2. Conviction of the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit drew him to salvation and revealed his sin and his need for Jesus. We need to see and understand that the work of God that night not only was to set the prisoners free, but also set the Philippian jailer free from his sins. God was working in a mighty way in the life of the Philippian jailer. And then we go on and we see in verses 31 through 34 just really what the greatest miracle was that night that took place. Look there in verse 31 in Paul and Silas's response to this question. Verse 31, they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. I want you to notice just the simplicity of the gospel. That the gospel was presented in these five words. Believe in the Lord Jesus. You see, there's no question of his religious background. There's no question of his social standing or moral standing. There's just a simple extension of the gospel that was to be taken by faith. They said, believe or have faith in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Maybe later down the road, when Paul penned these words, he was thinking about this encounter. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. He writes, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now understand, this word believe, it goes much deeper than what we tend to think of with the word. It's not just a head knowledge. It's not just an acknowledgement that Jesus existed or was a person. Oh no, it's much deeper than that. It means to have a confidence in who Jesus is, that he is our only hope of salvation, that he is the only one who paid the debt for my sin and for your sins. When, when Paul and Silas say this to this Philippian jailer, they're not just saying, hey, just believe Jesus existed. They're saying you need to throw your whole person, your whole what, the whole weight of who you are into the truth of the gospel message. Believe in your heart. Have a confidence and assurance that is followed by action. Because church, let me tell you, true salvation, true faith in Jesus is always followed up by an obedient life. Now, does that mean that we never make mistakes? Does that mean that we still, that we never fail? Of course not. But we always return to obedience when we truly know Jesus. It reminds me of an individual named Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. And Zacchaeus, of course, what do we know about Zacchaeus? Well, he was a wee little man. He wasn't very tall. So what does Zacchaeus do to see Jesus? He climbs up in the sycamore tree. Jesus calls him down, which would have been insane because Zacchaeus was a tax collector. He was, he was viewed as a traitor to the Jewish people. 
And so Jesus calls him down, and Zacchaeus, he brings Jesus to his home. And in verse 8, he tells Jesus what he's going to do. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pay back what I've taken fourfold. I'm going to take half of my possessions and give it to the poor. And Jesus says something very interesting to him in verse 9 that I want us to understand in talking about this Philippian jailer. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house. Now, did Jesus say that to Zacchaeus because he was giving away his money? No. Uh, him giving away his money, him saying, I'm going to do these things, that was just him following in obedience because he had truly believed and had faith in who Jesus is. True salvation is always followed up by true obedience. It was not Zacchaeus working for salvation. It was the fact that he had already had it, that we see his life being changed. And we see the same thing in the life of the Philippian jailer. The, the call for him and, and the call in his life from Paul and Silas was for him to believe in the Lord Jesus. And we see that exact thing happening, not just with the Philippian jailer, but also with his entire household. Verse 32, if you look there with me. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up to his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Verse 32, Paul and Silas take the opportunity that's been presented to them. The gospel is not only presented to the Philippian jailer, but also to his entire household. And because of that, the Philippian jailer, he not only believes, but so does his entire family. Because of this opportunity that was presented, because of their suffering, the gospel is presented to the Philippian jailer and his family, and they respond. Verse 33 tells us that this jailer, potentially the one who had, who had uh, harmed Paul and Silas hours before, was now washing their wounds and following in believer's baptism, following in obedience, just like him and his family display in verse 33. In verse 34, it tells us that he brings them up to the house, he sets food before them, and he rejoiced. He rejoiced because of salvation in his life and also in the lives of his entire household. He rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Now, when we study this passage of Scripture, when we see the events unfold, there are really two miraculous happenings that we see in this passage in the book of Acts. We've already talked about one. We've seen it in this miraculous earthquake that set everyone three free, that opened the doors, that, that set the bonds free from the prisoners. But let me tell you, that's not the greatest miracle that happened that night. The greatest miracle that took place that night was not God opening that jail, but it was God regenerating this man's heart. It was this man coming to faith in Jesus and being born again through what took place that night. That was the greatest miracle that took place that night. And I don't want you to miss that. Oftentimes when we study the book of Acts or some other passage of scripture, we tend to focus on the physical miracles, the physical manifestations of God's power and his working. And those are incredible things. Uh, but understand, all of those miraculous happenings, oftentimes they're just temporary. Uh, for example, think about the book of John. Uh, in our middle school FCS, we were going through the book of John. And you get to John chapter 11, you begin to read about the, the events of Lazarus and his family. And we know that Lazarus, he passed away. 
that Jesus spends four days away knowing that Lazarus is sick. He had been dead four days by the time Jesus finally arrived there. And we see Jesus miraculously raising Lazarus from the dead. And that's incredible. We can't imagine what it would be to have witnessed something so incredible. But understand something about Lazarus' life. Yes, Jesus brought him back from the dead. But you know what Lazarus had to do later down the road? Lazarus had to die again. The, the, the physical miracle, all that was, was pointing to the greater spiritual reality. Even of what Jesus told Martha before he raised Lazarus from the dead, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you will never perish but have eternal life. The greatest miracle that takes place in the book of Acts here in chapter 16 is not them being set free, but the jailer and his entire family coming to faith in Jesus. And to finish tonight, I want, I want us to see and understand that this opportunity, this opportunity for the gospel to spread, only came about because Paul and Silas went through a time of suffering and persecution. The opportunity for the gospel to advance, the continued ministry of the gospel message to the Philippian jailer, to the prisoners, and to the jailer's family, only happened because Paul and Silas went through an extreme amount of pain and difficulty. Oftentimes, in times of adversity, God gives us opportunities to spread the gospel in the midst of our suffering and trial. And we see Paul talking about this actually in the book of Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Paul is again in prison as he's riding down the road to this church at Philippi. And it's very possible that Paul writing this letter, this jailer and his entire family, being added to the faith that they were later down the road reading this letter that Paul was writing to them. And Paul says in verse 12 of chapter 1 of Philippians, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul looked at his dire circumstances in the book of Philippians and said, it's okay because what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. This physical suffering, this physical persecution and trial that I'm going through has been the conduit for the gospel to continue to advance wherever I go and with whatever I face. Because here's the reality of it. If the gospel is advanced through our suffering, if the gospel is advanced through your suffering, then all of the suffering in the world is worthwhile. Not just that we're able to endure, as Paul talks about in Philippians 4, verse 13. Not just that we're able to go through it, but that we look at the difficulty and say, it is worthwhile because the gospel has went before me. Because the gospel has continued to advance, even in the midst of my trials and my sufferings. As we look at the lives of Paul and Silas and, and the events in Acts chapter 16... I pray that that is an encouragement to you. That even though we suffer, even though we go through difficulty, even if we go through persecution like Paul and Silas, there's always opportunities that God gives us to advance the gospel through what we face. God is giving us opportunities no matter what we face and no matter how difficult it may be to face. And I pray that you, me, all of us as individuals, all of us as a church at Southside Baptist, I pray that we are faithful to spread the gospel even in the midst of suffering. 
Because the truth is, God will use your suffering. Just like we see in Acts chapter 16, verse 25. We see Paul and Silas in their response. They, they, had been, they had been given a difficult thing to go through. They were in pain, I'm sure. But they worshipped and they praised God for who he is. We see that because of that, not just do we see the Philippian jailer being saved later down the road, but those around them, the prisoners, they were listening. They were watching. They were hearing the response of Paul and Silas. Church, understand people are looking at your response and your reaction in times of difficulty and suffering. And it's an opportunity for us to share the gospel and advance the kingdom of God. I pray that we are faithful to do so. I pray that God keeps you as you go through difficulties and that we look for the opportunities to tell someone about Jesus, to share the gospel with whoever may come along our path. Church, we're praying for you. We're thankful for you. We pray that you would go throughout this week and see the opportunities that God has laid before you. Let me pray for you, and then we'll dismiss this evening. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today, God. We thank you for this time that you've allowed us to be be here, God, to be in our respective homes, and God, to, to go online and to hear your word. God, to study your word together. And Father, I pray that we look at the examples of Paul and Silas. God, even though they went through difficulty, even though they went through suffering, we see that your gospel was still advanced. The news of Jesus and the good news of Jesus was still advanced. And because of that, we see people coming to faith in the book of Acts chapter 16. Father, we know that you're still working. God, we know that no matter what circumstances are going on around us, it does not change that you are still working. God, that you have still commanded us to share the gospel. And God, that your Holy Spirit is still working and moving among those who don't know you. Father, we pray that we would be faithful to share the gospel. God, we'd be faithful to lead people to Christ. And God, through you bringing them to faith, God, through you doing the work of salvation, we would be intentional in our discipleship of those who believe. Father, we thank you for everything you've done for us, God. And I thank you for our church. We thank you for everything that you are. And God, we thank you most of all for Jesus, for what he's done for us. And God, we pray that we would take that message and we would share it with the lost and dying world. Father, we love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, church. Hope you have a good evening.